You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Jake Corley. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. What is going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Oil & Gas This Week. You're listening to episode 167, brought to you by our wonderful sponsor, IBM. And the show would not be complete without our talent. Mark LaCour, what's up, man? <laughs> Our talent, you and me both, not just me, dude. <laughs> uh, in fact, you're becoming the talent leader on the show, which is actually kind of cool. Oh, uh, yeah. So everybody, we're still working on IBM giveaway. I know exactly what it is. I'm just waiting for final approval. Hopefully next show, Jake and I start announcing it's going to be really cool and collectible. So stay tuned for that. And before we get too deep in anything else, uh, you heard me talk a while back about the street team. The street team's getting ready to kick off. If you want to be a volunteer for OGGN to be part of our street team, you end up getting cool t-shirts and press passes and a bunch of whole stuff. All we ask is for an hour commitment a week to help us with our social media. Uh, Julie's going to be running that group. So uh, we'll put a link in the show notes. Reach out to Julie if you want to join the street team. We're building some a tool to help automate a lot of stuff, and that should be actually ready in about two weeks as well. And then speaking of stuff that's fun, Jake, we just came back from Midland literally yesterday, and we're getting ready to stand up the happy hour in Midland. Probably within probably April will be the first one out there. So if your company has an interest in getting in front of the Permian audience out there, let us know. We're looking for sponsors. It's dirt cheap. It's only 500 bucks to be a sponsor. And also, same thing in Dallas. We're getting ready to stand up one in Dallas probably in April as well. This will be another monthly OGGN happy hour, and we're looking for sponsors for that one as well. So uh, reach out to Julie. We'll put a link in the show notes for that if you want to play a part in that. And then, Jake, we got some reviews, don't we? Yes, we do. We've got a funny one. First one up, biased but informative from PJMS. He says, great way to stay informed on the happenings in oil and gas. Beware that the show is extremely biased and never touches upon the negative aspect of the oil and gas industry. Sometimes it borders on propaganda, but otherwise is very informative. I actually take that as a compliment because it is, this is oil and gas this week and you would hope that we would have a bias toward the oil and gas industry. And in all honesty, we do talk about the negative stuff. It's just a lot of the negative stuff that you hear out there isn't legit. So you know, I, we, today. I think, yeah. Yeah, I we, think we've had a very realistic show, you know, and I think it's our duty to kind of just report what is going on out there. But I think it also comes back to, I don't know anything about the guy who wrote the review. I don't know if he's from inside the industry, outside the industry. So we obviously know that you know, public perception kind of plays into that as well. And, you know, what is seen as positive, what is seen as negative and all that kind of jazz. So, but PJ, we seriously appreciate your review, yep. whether you like everything we do or not. We want to hear that. We want to hear that from you as well. We have another one, don't we? We've got another one that says entertaining and informative from, I'm not even going to try to pronounce that. No, do uh, it, Jake. Get your get. 84 jers out. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> the podcast provides insights about the oil and gas industry. It's a great way to capture trending current events and also look into the future of the industry. Yeah, so get your 84 jers out. Thank you very much for your review. And audience, leave us a review. It's the number one way to support the show and our other shows. And if we read your review on the air, you will get a big shout out. Let's jump in the news stories, Jake. So before we get to the stories, you know, I'm just realizing, you know, it's, uh, what is it, March 3rd. Where did M&A season go? Think about how much activity we had in 2018 from January to March and then back in 2017. I mean, it's, we've been doing this a while now, actually, now that I think about it. But the last two years, M&A season, you know, come and gone and there's billions and billions of dollars of transaction. We've seen some, but not near as much activity as the past two years. Yeah. So last year, the end of last year, we had unexpected M&A activity. And I called it in my in my reviews for, for 2019 is I think this year, especially third quarter of this year, is going to be record in, in M&A and activity. So let's see if I'm right. Unfortunately, this is the second time I've called this and the first time I missed it completely. So hopefully I can you know kind of recapture my ability to forecast this sort of stuff. But there's a lot of potential M&A. It's just a matter of is the market ready to take that step? 
I'm guessing they are. We'll see the third quarter of this year. Yep. All right, guys. So like we said, we've got a whole lot of news today. We have a heavy focus on just the shale industry in general. And there's been a ton of news. It's just we can't go without talking about it, right? So it's, it appears that Wall Street is somewhat losing face. Uh, faith in shale industry. It seems that the shale industry has lost a lot of its lure to Wall Street. There's been decades worth of, of promises. These are in the words of Wall Street, not the, my words, right? Have failed to materialize and big finance is kind of cutting its ties with some of the small shale drillers who have not delivered. So the Wall Street Journal has reported that the shale industry only saw $22 billion in new bonds and equity deals down by more than half from the 2016 levels, which was actually a much worse time for the market. So we've seen a steep decline in new debt and equity issu- issuance, which could be a sign that major investors are no longer rushing to finance what seems to be unprofitable shale drilling. I think it's kind of worth noting that it's the wells themselves are profitable, but I think it's more so the issue is here is the finance structure. We've seen that these companies are not able to actually turn a profit as a company and deliver dividends to the investors. That seems to be the issue, kind of summing up. I don't want to go like super, super deep into this, but that seems to be the biggest issue that we've seen so far. Yeah, and it's it's actually really interesting. So all of the the majors entered into Shell early on. They all literally lost their pants because it's a totally different operating model. They end up selling assets at the lowest point of, of their value, so they end up losing their pants again. And now they're coming back. And one of the things that's interesting, because of the financial models, especially from a small independent operator, there's so many layers of profitability built upon the movement of capital that the smaller guys are really squeezed out from their financial margins, not the margins on the hydrocarbons they produce. Now you're seeing the super majors come in and capitalize on that. So you take somebody like Exxon or Chevron or BP, they don't have to hit VC money to finance stuff. They finance it internally, which Mm -hmm. removes all those extra layers of profitability, which in a really strange kind of ironic, hypocritical way may mean that the majors end up coming and somewhere in the future start dominating the shell plays, which is crazy because they've lost so much there. But all of these big oil and gas companies understand finance and they understand long-term capital investment. So it's going to be really interesting to watch. I think, Jake, that you and I have seen a bunch of different type of financial models spring up. I mean, everything from a cryptocurrency to you know different types of investment structures to fractional investments. And I, so I think the, the old way of financing these small independent operators is going to change. It needs yep. to change. I just don't know what it's going to look like. But as always, anytime something there's changing, there's opportunity. There's opportunity for companies and for people and for new process and new technology. So it's, you know, as always, our industry is changing and it's going to be really interesting to see if the way that the independent operators make money is going to change. And I, I think it will. Yeah. And I think over time, as companies are not really able to deliver the returns that they're promising, the cost of capital is just going up and up and up. And it's hard to kind of still operate within cash flow, pay out magi- uh, massive dividends, and then also pursue in a very, very aggressive drilling program. There's just not enough money to go around. Yeah. They're burning it on one end and it can't get it in fast enough on the other end. And then part of that also is Wall Street. Wall Street loves to make a, a profit, right? So it loves to make a, a payback on the money they invest. And in a lot of things, that's a pretty easy thing to figure out, relatively speaking, whether it's worth your invest or not. It's different when you're end up, when you're financing an independent operator. I mean, literally, you could have the same operator and he could lose two key members of his team and all of a sudden he's upside down. He can't deliver the hydrocarbons fast enough and vice versa. So Wall Street doesn't understand that. And, and then you and I are starting to see the growth of a lot of venture money with an 
deep understanding of the oil and gas industry, which is also new for our industry. So we'll keep an eye on this. It is, like I said, things are changing. Um, it's going to change for the better. And anytime there's change like this happen, there's always opportunity. I mean, if you're looking whenever, looking at when shale really just exploded, it was right off the back of the 2008 financial crisis and the Federal Reserve pretty much dropped the interest rates close to zero. So the entire shale revolution was really financed by cheap money. And that's a completely different environment than what we're seeing today. Yes. And the independent ones are the only ones that were nimble enough to develop the technology. It's actually, a lot of people don't know this, but fracking is old. Fracking was invented in the late 50s, early 60s by Shell as a way to stimulate water well production. It wasn't until recently that somebody combined that old technology of fracking with the modern technology of horizontal drilling that we're able to tap into these unconventional shell plays. And then since that technology has been invented, there's all kinds of other technology that's slapped on top of that. And only the small independents were nimble enough to go down that route then like a lot of technology you know typically if, if you look at i mean we'll use apple i love apple so does jake right apple really never invents anything apple takes something that's already been invented and refines it until it's perfect and i think it's what you may see in the, in the unconventionals on land you may see that it was the small independent guys that invented everything and the big guys that want to come in and actually clean it up and make it perfect yeah. And like you were talking about, you know, this next article kind of segues perfectly into what you were mentioning about the majors kind of being some of the first players, you know, kind of playing around with shale and then getting out, losing their ass. And now they're looking to get back in, you know, so it's kind of like they're, they're back at the party, but they're a little bit late. As you've seen, most of the drilling was done by small and medium-sized drillers, as we just talked about. You know, you've got ExxonMobil and you've got Chevron, you know, making some some really big plays, especially in the Permian. Chevron alone, their production shot up to 377,000 barrels per that's BOPD crazy. in the fourth quarter of 2018, up from 172,000 BOPD a year earlier. So that's absolutely insane. But one of the quotes that I'm seeing in this article here is that the CEO, Michael Worth of Chevron, was saying that in the Permian, they're focused on returns. They're not chasing production targets and they're not altering their plans based on the price of the day. And that goes back to what you were saying is that these guys can fund all of their shell operations themselves without having to go get expensive capital. And they're also looking longer term. So yeah. that's a perfect quote. He says he's not looking at the not chasing production targets and they're not looking at what the price is today. They're looking at this over 5, 10, 15, 20 year play, which is what they're really good at offshore in these huge mega projects. If they can bring that same financial acronym to the shell basins, and even though the business is completely different, use their ability to manage CapEx to, to manage funds, manage investment at a longer term play, even the fact that the, the shell wells have a steep decline, they can account for, right? You just have more wells and those decline curves kind of bend over each other and eventually you have steady production. So it, once again, awesome to see Chevron out here and all the majors, you know, uh, BP picked up a whole bunch of BHP assets, Exxon with XTOs all over the place. Chevron's doing stuff and a dark goes out there. So we'll keep an eye on this, but I, but you know, the bigger oil and gas companies tend not to make big mistakes. So if they're out there in the Permian, they're out there because they know they can make money. Yep. So still staying on the topic of shale, this next article, article is kind of diving into, you know, the future of shale, frack hits and spacing. So well spacing. So how many, how many wells can you fit per section? Right. And so this dives really deep into, I think it's a lot of quotes by RS Energy. They do a whole lot of very detailed analytics on like the reservoir engineering side. And they've worked with a lot of big companies like Devon Energy and Continental Resources. They kind of find out how many well, like what is the optimal number of wells that you can put on a per section in the Permian to make it still economical. 
Yeah, and tell you something, Jake, that you and I haven't talked about because audience may not know this. Jake and I almost never talk to each other. We're so busy. <laughs> Even right now, we're in different parts of the, of the city. But one of the things, Jake, is IBM has a tool, and I'm not plugging IBM because they're, they're our sponsor. I'm plugging them because they have something really cool called Sweet Spot, and it's using artificial intelligence to do this exact same thing, figure out how close can you put the wells, how close can you put the fracks, what type of completions you need to do. And as the AI learns, it gets better and better and better and better. It's We're going to actually feature their tool, Sweet Spot, their AI tool, Sweet Spot, pretty soon, um, just because we want to get out there to our audience because it's a game changer. And when you have somebody as big as IBM with the leverage of artificial intelligence and machine learning, it is, it is phenomenal. And that's exactly what we're talking about here. And it's of something that affects shareholder value and it affects your return on, on capital. So it's just really cool to see the tech companies come in and do what they're really good at. And in our case, IBM's figured out that they don't know oil and gas. So you know what they did, Jake? They hired a whole bunch of oil and gas guys. They have geophysicists, geologists. They have petroleum engineers that have 30 years experience at ExxonMobil. And that's who's running IBM's approach to oil and gas, not their techie guys. The techie guys there are help to support the oil and gas guys. So this is really cool. When, when you start having this type of technology brought into our industry, we're in the very beginning of it. Like literally the first pitch hasn't been thrown for the first inning of the game. Three or four years or five years now, this is going to be standard operating procedure. And you're going to see efficiencies on a totally different scale, which is just good for everybody. Yep. So kind of speaking of RS Energy, we've got another article here right next to it. Chesapeake is actually teaming up with RS as well for analytics and machine learning on how to improve operational efficiency, capital discipline by employing advanced analytics and machine learning. So they're working with about 150 operators in North America currently. They're based out of Calgary. It seems like the guys are making a lot of moves. I got a couple of friends over there, but it seems like they're uh, kind of making a lot of strides in the analytics space, especially like I, like I just mentioned with the on the reservoir engineering side. So obviously Chesapeake announced that they just merged with Wild Horse Resources, which is like a $4 billion merger, bolster out their position in the Eagleford in South Texas. And so they're looking to increase company-wide share oil production and obviously reduce debt. So they're using RS to have a deeper understanding, not only of their own assets, but of the industry and ways that they can optimize their own assets. Yeah, and, and it's so cool. I didn't realize this, and I didn't segue this on purpose, but it sounds like I did because I didn't realize Jake put this article in here. But if you if you read through this article, one of the things they talk about that's really important is the operators are adopting data science yep. as part of their core business. So RS Energy, just like I told you, IBM has engineers, geosciences, and oil and gas finance professionals on their payroll so they can make sure they do this thing right. Now, and it's actually interesting that EOG added a chief technology officer and Anna Darko now has an entire data science team of over 20 people. So this is real. It's sticking. This is what's going to be the future of the oil and gas industry. And if you're an operator or an oil field service company and you're not in this game, you're not into this big data game, you're going to get left behind. Yep. Hands down. I think the, uh, the EMP of the future looks more like a tech company than a traditional oil and it, gas company. It will absolutely be a tech and finance company. Yep. And it'll be financed differently. <laughs> All right. Anna Darko's MLP completes consolidation, $4 billion acquisition. So uh, Woodlands-based Western Gas Equity Partners and Western Gas Partners LP, a master limited partnerships formed by Anna Darko, have completed their previously announced consolidation and changed their names. That's yeah, pretty much the that's pretty much the extent of the news. But 
I wanted to include something that was not upstream. <laughs> Actually, I made a comment to uh, Paige Wilson, host of Oil and Gas Industry Leaders, when I saw what we're going to be talking about today. It's like, Jake actually put something in here that wasn't upstream. That's awesome. And, you know, this is Anadarko doing what Anadarko does really good. They figure out what parts of the puzzle they don't own. So what, what part of the piece do they need? And they either build it themselves or they buy it. Right. So that's what they're doing here. You can see a lot more of this sort of stuff as, as operators realize they need to control their infrastructure. So so not just pipelines to bring hydrocarbons to market, but pipelines to handle produce water, handle fresh water. So, you know, this is this is going to be business as normal, especially for these bigger independent operators like Anadarko. You know, they, they're they a big company. They have a lot of cash, but they're nimble enough where they can just step in and either purchase something that fits their portfolio or they can do something like an MLP, which has some tax benefits involved. So you can see much more of this stuff happen. Cool. So uh, ExxonMobil and Qatar Petroleum have found what is quoted to be the largest and most significant natural gas find ever. It's what was it off, offshore uh, near Cyprus. Not really sure exactly where that's at. I should probably brush up my geography. It's located in the Block 10 of the Eastern Mediterranean. And apparently it's yielding, they're, they're guessing it's going to yield 5 trillion to 8 trillion cubic feet of natural gas. Tell you what, Exxon in the last two years, their exploration production team, they're just their exploration team is just knocking on the They find one find after another, after another, after another, and they're all recoverable uh, hydrocarbons. So this is what Exxon does best. You know, Exxon has the scope and the senior engineering expertise and the technology to go out and find these reservoirs that nobody else can find. A lot of times, it's actually interesting. They'll come behind, especially like a, a nationalized oil company like Saudi Aramco, and they'll come behind them and they'll find the hydrocarbons that Saudi Aramco missed. So, you know, like once again, this is Exxon do what it does best. The other thing, Jake, that you don't know is that Guitar actually reached out to us and we're discussions with them keep our fingers crossed, we may end up with a show that's sponsored for the first time ever in OGGN's history by a nationalized oil company. That'd be awesome. Yeah. So everybody keep their fingers crossed. I would love to have them come on board as a sponsor. So the U.S. has approved a $3.2 billion Appalachian natural gas pipeline. So TransCanada said that it has officially been approved by FERC, which is the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, has approved their Mountaineer Express natural gas pipeline project, which will help link the Appalachian Basin's natural gas supplies and growing markets in the U.S. and beyond, which is a 170-mile natural gas pipeline in West Virginia that will increase natural gas capacity by 2.7 billion cubic feet per day and together with the related infrastructure, new compressor stations and modifications to existing compressor stations represents a total investment of $3.2 billion. Yeah. So once again, another midstream article. So right now this is just jobs, right? They have to construct this, they have to build all this stuff. But what you're doing is you're going to end up lowering the cost of moving natural gas around the country, especially on the eastern side of the U.S. This is going to allow us to bring natural gas cheaply to a bunch of ethylene crackers that are being built which will allow us to turn this natural gas into plastics and sell that plastics to the rest of the world, which is longer term prosperity. So here's a perfect example of a company building infrastructure so that they can sell the raw product, which in this case is plastics, to the rest of the world who has an increasing demand and appetite for plastics. So, you know, once again, prosperity, this is a perfect sign of how hydrocarbons or oil and gas isn't just for fueling your car. It's what most of the world is made of what holds the glue that holds the modern civilization together. So this is a good project. It's past everything. Unfortunately, as much as I hate to say it, there's some anti-oil and gas groups out there already trying to fight this at the local level. Hopefully those states see that it makes no sense to delay this project and, and don't let this become a, a political issue. Let this just be an infrastructure project. And the last article I just found quite humorous. <laughs> 
The BP CEO, Bob Dudley, was quoted saying, U.S. shale is a market without a brain. Um, so <laughs> the it. shale industry responds is only to oil price signals and is a market without a brain. The U.S. is the only country that completely responds to market signals like a market without a brain. It just responds to price signals. Unlike Saudi Arabia and Russia, which adjust their output in response to gluts or shortages in oil supplies, the U.S. shale market responds purely to oil prices. I mean, he's not completely wrong. I just thought it was kind of funny the way that he phrased it. No, he's he's completely right. Now, now he is the CEO of BP, so surely he knows this. And uh, and Dudley, if you don't know this, call me. I'll, I'll talk you through this. But we're <laughs> different. So the reason that most of the world, including Russia and OPEC or Saudi Arabia, can do that is that the government controls production. So there is one group of people in Russia and one group of people in, in OPEC or Saudi Arabia, or Saudi Aramco, I'm sorry, that says, okay, let's go up in production. Let's go down in production. That's not how it works here. Jake and Colin own wells. Jake and Colin can decide if they want to go up in production or go down in production. That has, there's nobody controlling Jake and Colin except maybe Julie, <laughs> which that's an inside Truth. joke. <laughs> so it's, it's the culture of U.S. oil and gas is different than anywhere else in the world. And that culture is actually a good thing. The reason that Jake and Colin can own a well is because U.S. is the only place in the world, only place in the world where independent people can own the minerals that's under their land. And that drives a totally different culture. It drives totally different ways to monetize it. It drives a different attitude toward the industry. And so he's right in the fact that we don't zig when everybody else zigs, but but at the same time, we also make most of the innovations, most of the discoveries. If you look at any of the big tech breakthroughs, I mean, literally from the you know early 1900s to now, it's us, right? And we've done it because of all these independent people that are very smart that have a problem and they figure out how to solve it versus letting a government try to solve it. So, so he's right, but at the same time, there's a reason that we're like this. And honestly, I like the way we are. I like the fact that Jake and Colin or me or you listeners out there, that if you're in the U.S., you can own mineral rights. And then you, you can decide what you want to do with those mineral rights because they're yours under your land. The government can't, can't come in and tell you what to do with them, unlike most of the world. All right, guys, that wraps up all these stories for today. So we move on to the weekly rig count. We are sitting at uh, 1,076. Good, solid number. I like that number. And speaking of good, solid numbers, we have events on deck. Uh, Jake, you don't know this, but we're going back out to California. I'm actually presenting at the West Kern Petroleum Forum, March 21st. Anybody listening, have you ever seen any of those old pictures, all the wooding wall derricks, one next to another, next to another, always in black and white? That was That's Taft. That's where oil first went really commercial in California, and that's where I'm going to speak. There's a university up there. And the cool thing, Jake, is not only does the university have a an oil and gas-centric engineering program, the university has partnered with a local high school, and now the high school has an oil and gas engineering problem program in the high school. And so I want to go learn about that. I want to go meet these kids. I want to see if we can help promote them because this is really cool stuff. And then, like I said earlier, we have the Houston Professional Petroleum Data Expo, so PPDE. April 9th and 10th, we're going to have Jake and Colin there with the Startups Podcast. I think Paige is going to be there with Industry Leaders Podcast. But if, if you're in that intersection of, of technology and oil and gas, you need to come check this thing out. It's right here in Houston. I don't remember how much it is to get in, but it's not much. And you get to come see Jake and uh, Colin bring an episode of their – what's the name of y'all show, Jake? <laughs> we're so well, the startup show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And people, I'm not I'm not that old. It's just we have so many shows right now and so many more that are being added literally every week or two that I'm starting to lose track of stuff. And then if you don't want to lose track of stuff, sign up 
check out our monthly oil and gas events newsletter. It's free. We take all the oil and gas events, put them in your inbox once a month. We never spam you. And then if you'd like any of us, and, and our crew has grown. I mean, we have the Onshore podcast, we have legal podcast, oil and gas startups podcast. We've got the tech podcast getting ready to launch. You know, we have any of us, you want any of us to come to any of your events and 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 be in front of your crowd, entertain your people, uh, come to your conference or expo, reach out to us and we'd be happy to share the details on that. And then we have the first Friday Q&A coming up. If you want to submit a question and we read your question on the air, we'll give you a big shout out. Please, 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 folks, remember the goal is not to stump Jake and I. The goal is to help educate your fellow listeners to the podcast. Ooh, that's a lot. Jake, one of the things that you and I talked about, and we get this from our audience a bunch, is that you and I have not been regular putting out these episodes, and we apologize. I think Jake and I finally got this thing licked. So audience, you can hold us accountable. We should, in the next two weeks, start putting these out every week regular. If we don't, let us know. But we, we think we got our hands finally wrapped around this. And once again, it's just Jake has been so busy, and I've been so busy. We're all, we've all just you know done everything we can to grow this. And we're at the point now where we think we can finally actually slow down just a bit so we can put out regular episodes. So we appreciate your patience while we struggled through last year with not always being regular when we put stuff out. Ready to get out here, Jake? Let's go, man. All right, folks, remember, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week podcast, a product of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasthisweek.com.